Welcome back to the Big Water Podcast. I am Ross Roberts, and we're going to talk about fishing, but like everything else, we're going to venture into God knows where and God knows what. But I know who we're going to be doing it with, my longtime friend, Kurt Niedemeyer, who's actually the editor-in-chief at FLW Outdoors. Basically, when it comes down to writing and stuff, he is involved. Kurt, welcome to the show. Yeah, man, writing and stuff. That's exactly how I describe my job. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a big-time important guy now. I don't really know how to even describe all that fancy stuff. Just a working-class guy like me doesn't know what these editor-in-chiefs generally, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, I'm pretty, pretty pumped to have like an actual video record of the fact that I'm your friend. So that makes me very... Acquaintance has too many syllables. So. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, I've known you a very long time. And while we're in a slightly different age gap, we were both at Ohio State as I see the Buckeye hat in the background there, but yet you kind of switched gears and um, you, you moved down south. I mean, you're currently living in Kentucky. So give us a little background on Kurt and getting into the fishing business because, I mean, you just don't become the editor-in-chief of FLW overnight. I mean, that's, this, is, this was a process. Sure, sure. First of all, that's a He-Man hat from when I was like eight years old. It's not a Buckeye's hat, but we'll, uh, we can get onto that later. There's a bottle. I mean, let's just go on this. So people at home that are, aren't watching this on YouTube, which please go on YouTube and watch this. There's a picture of my buddy there in the late Forest Wood on the one side. There's, I well, hope that's, that's not yeah, your. That's magazine cover. I hope that's not your baby picture there. And then we have a beer top collection. And there's yeah. a little troll if you really just get right to the edge of the line. This is when I originally met Kurt. There was definitely a different deal. Now we got baby carriages. But I can see, oh, like, yeah. you know, a yeah. little nooker over there in the corner. There's baby pictures. So this is much different Kurt than I knew when we were drinking brown, uh, brown Jesus juice before. So, yeah, this room is. Uh, I don't have a home office. I had to give that up when a second kid came along. So this room is uh, laundry, den, family room, toys, hunting stuff. I got a gun safe in here. There's like dead animal parts. So it's a little bit of everything. And uh, but anyway, yeah, so I... I well, thank you for the birth state. control and tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ohio State. Yep, yep. I grew up in northwest Ohio. Uh, I don't know where you all are recording from right now, but, um, you know, if you know Port Clinton, we grew up like 45 minutes south of there and uh, went to Ohio State and uh, bounced around through a few majors. But, you know, when I was a kid, I, I always had, uh, you know, outdoor magazines with me in school sandwiching between my books and always thought it'd be a, a cool career to be able to write for for hunting and fishing scenes. didn't really expect to ever be a, an editor at that time but when i was in college it was kind of bouncing around and uh i don't know if i was looking for an easy major or just looking to get the hell out of school at, at that time but um i ended up getting a agricultural communications degree um which is a little bit mis misleading because i you know if you gave me a farm i wouldn't know what to do with it but um, I was in the honors program, so I was basically able to make my own major. And so I basically had a journalism degree, if you look at the classes I took. But I got to take a lot of other classes on the egg campus, which, you know, if you're a small town country bumpkin like I was and then going to the, one of the biggest universities in the, in the country, being able to kind of fit in with a little bit different crowd on a little bit smaller scale, but still there being there adjacent to the main campus was kind of a, a big help for me. I took but, a uh, rural sociology class over there, and it, yeah. was, it was a different world, brother. That was yeah, I took the regular sociology class, but I that uh, anyway, I won't go there. But um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I graduated from Ohio State with uh, an ag degree, but uh, basically a communications journalism degree, and uh, had a couple opportunities coming right out the gate. But FLW had advertised a job for an associate editor in uh, 
was like the Outdoor Wire, which is like a daily newsletter that goes out. And uh, I was working at the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance in Columbus at the time. One of my jobs was to keep tabs of where our media mentions were, including in the the Outdoor Wire. And so I was looking through there one day and saw this job for uh, to be an editor. And it was written something like, uh, come live in Kentucky on the shores of beautiful Kentucky Lake or something like that. And I was like, well, shit, that sounds kind of cool. I don't know where Kentucky Lake is. But Kentucky touches Ohio, so it can't be that far away. So I send in an application and uh, come to find out it's like nine hour drive from where my parents I, live. I was just going to say, it's very deceiving on how Kentucky yeah. is. With, with Yeah, I mean, I'm 30 minutes from uh, the Mississippi River. That's how far west we are. We're in the very far west corner of the state. So I can be in Tennessee in 30 minutes, Illinois in 30 minutes, and cross the Mississippi into Arkansas, Missouri, and that way in, in about 30 minutes. And, and again, yeah. you know, so this doesn't have to get too lovey and everything. I was just thinking about, you know, the first time that we fished together. Do you remember? I don't know if you call it fish. I mean, we were in the boat. We were catching some giants, but it was prior to a tournament and you shit in the boat. <laughs> not, not only, folks, if you can. I think that was get, the second day, though. If you can just mentally get a picture on this. I'm get we have got I get shooting it was sea locked shooting down boom getting ready to net this fish and I look over and I'm like what is that next to the boat and there was a big pile of floating shit going by that was literally in the shot and then Kurt's like yeah I, I've got this like uh, sometimes when I gotta go I just gotta go and I gotta go and I well, gotta you, go now you took us to this bar the night before for beer and spice whatever I mean it, I did feel, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's Me? in the corner of that little shopping mall or whatever in Port Clinton, <laughs> that little shopping strip. I you, remember it. Now you know better, you know. For me, it's more, it's it's salads and, I don't know, water before going down on the lake. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I joke with people. I, I've told people, I'm like, they're like, hey, where should I pull over? I'm like, I don't know. I could text my buddy Kurt because he would tell you that you need to go in this restaurant and not this one. And you, in, the, yeah. and, and, and in this chain of hotels, the restroom's always to the left. You don't even ask anybody. And here's their, this is the code on these because you, you've been there, done that. I mean, I get around the country a fair amount, so I'm always prepared. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to shit, you are you are just the authentic king. But I, I, this is I, I, it's wonderful. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so transitioning from the first time I basically fished with you or spent some time together to I don't know how many years forward, but we wrote a book together. We wrote a hell of a book together, highly successful, and it was one of those deals that I still tell people to this day. I had people that begged me not to do it. I had sponsors, people, and friends because they just figured, hey, man, you can't make a print book uh, work anymore. It just it mm. can't happen, and I think we definitely proved them wrong. High five. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we came up with a very clever title, Walleye Trolling, for a book about <laughs> walleye trolling. Um, well, we only, it, we only you know, did that for my ego so that you could tell – Remember you you told somebody, well, Ross wrote the book on walleye trolling. And I was like, that was just total ego stroke. That's all that was. That's true. That's yeah. true. No, that's a good point. I must have been thinking straight back then. But uh, but yeah, I know. But it gets a point across, right? And I still have people call me trying to find books. In fact, it's on my list to do, to, to touch base with some retailers and see if anybody still has a couple lying around because uh, you know, I guess they're in demand. I don't know. Maybe I'll start throwing them on eBay and you know, the ones I've got left and jacking the price up a little bit. I'm t I, I, I don't know if I'd say weekly, but... Definitely bi-weekly, I get somebody, probably even weekly, I get somebody that says, hey, man, you know, where can I find these in the, in the same thing? I don't think there's any more besides a couple in my office somewhere. But I vowed not to open that thing because I'm sure as you, the uh, I, and I couldn't tell you, I've I got friends that have written books and they know exactly how many chapters and pages. And I couldn't yeah. tell you for $10 million because as you did, we, the thing that's kind of cool about this, and I know we're kind of tapping ourselves on the shoulder here, but we didn't really involve. You're used to do it. And it's all right. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
We we didn't involve anybody except for one of my college buddies that did a couple illustrations. Actually, his wife ended up doing it for us. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and you know, me and you grabbed the horns and we did everything from the cover layout and things that people don't realize on books. You know, like the, the cover on how how the binding, how wide it had to be, and then for the text and based on how many pictures or how many pages and, and the print uh, quality. So all of a sudden, that's how thick and, and all of these things you just don't think about. And all, there was a ton of stuff, and we had a few people, you know that helped us out with, with things here and there, but there was a lot of trial and error there for sure. And I mean, you, a lot of conversations and that's why yep. I said, I'll never open the thing again. Not cause I don't love it and it didn't do me just a ton of good, but man, we edited that thing and knock on wood. I'm sure somebody's going to like shoot me an email after I say this or something, but I don't even think there's a goddamn typo in that thing. I mean, we read that each of us a billion times and then you'd send me another one. I'll read this again and trying to get whether it was authenticity or flow or just the typos yeah. and, and the verbiage, right? Because spell check doesn't like a lot of fishing terms. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, I, it's what I do every day at work, but also I have a team of people, right? Like I've never had to deal with the printer um, and they had to paginate a whole magazine or a whole book before. We have people who do that. You know, I never had to start from scratch and, and also like figuring out, you know, Little things you maybe don't think about, like when you change the cover stock, how much it can change the weight of the book. And when you multiply that times a box of books, what that costs and, and like the logistics of getting books from the printer to us, to retailers. I mean, I've never done any of that stuff before. Also, I mean, I, I took like an Adobe InDesign class when I was in college. I probably spent a grand total of about five days learning how to use it and then design that book. And I'm the opposite of a designer. We pay people who actually can do creative design to do the design. Um, but I figured it out the best I could. I'd never tell anybody it's a professionally designed magazine or a, a designed book, but you know, I think we, you know, we, we tried to sort of mimic your buddy Joe Brooks and his book, uh, to some extent, just sort good of good memory. Uh, good memory. Yeah. Thanks, well, he's Joe. Got the, I got his book on my shelf here someplace, you know, a book on killing monster deer basically. And, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but anyway, it was just, it was very authentic because it was wasn't done just by somebody who gets paid to write it. It was done by the guy who actually lived that life and learned how to kill those deer. And so I think that's what we tried to do. And you know, we brought in a handful of sources from around the industry that we knew were like legit guys that were respected guys and got them to share some techniques and some stories and kind of fill in some of the blanks in like parts of the country that you hadn't fished in or whatever. Um, and so I think what we ended up with was, was just a really good nuts and bolts how to kind of book. I don't think it's you know, the thing you want to crack open on an airplane when you just want to be entertained, but it's a, it's an actual like manual of how to that you go into. If you want to remember how to fish dipsy divers or learn more about it or whatever else it is, you know? Um, and I don't think anybody had ever come around to like the, the topic strictly of trolling for walleyes to that extent. You know, I mean, you see a lot of how to stuff breaking down, you know, bait or things that sink versus things that, uh, you know, have a, a diving lip on them and the differences in how they react to current and waves and all that stuff. And so I learned a hell of a lot because it's not like I've been guiding on Lake Erie trolling for walleyes all my career. And so, no, you just shit every time I hear trolling with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my, my, my job is to leave you with stories when I'm out there. No, I, and I appreciate that very much on all fronts. But yeah, honestly, that project of all the things that I've done is the one I'm most proud of. And I think that, again, because we did it start to finish, but I think it turned out pretty good, people seem to think. And you're right is, you know, the, the reason that I think that that book is, it was so well you know, sat with people is because like if, if it was about bass fishing or casting or jigging, those are things that are really learned where trolling is like a system and you can yeah. show pictures and, and you can really make somebody. It, it's almost like math. 
you know, it's, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's both, it's, right? Like you, you got to understand how you get uh, your base to a certain place and then learning what to do with it. Once you're out there, I think comes on the water and developing instinct on when to change or whatever, but yeah. And you know, and there's, again, that's kind of a good segue because there is such a difference between bass and walleye fishing, you know, and obviously bass is bigger than walleye fishing. You work for a pretty much bass organization. Yep. Um, I don't even think they even hide that anymore. No more walleye stuff. But when you, when you came out of there again, even though you grew up in Ohio, you know, not that you were as in depth in, in the bass thing as you are now, wasn't your, uh, your first event on beta knock. Didn't you just get kind of thrown in like, Oh, Hey, by the way, here's your job. And you're going to go cover a, a walleye event. Yeah. I was, a, I don't know what you would call me back then. I was mostly a meat fisherman. You know, we killed just about everything we caught in those days. And we mostly crappie fished, my buddies and I, and uh, we perch fished on Lake Erie a little bit. Um, we, we trolled for walleyes in like little reservoirs in Ohio, caught a few bass in ponds and stuff like that. But mostly we were out there trying to catch like catfish and bluegills and crappie and stuff that we could eat. And uh, mostly I was interested in, in walleye fishing. I wasn't really a bass fisherman when I started the job, um, but I wanted to get my get an in into the outdoors and I wanted to uh, you know learn about fishing and really didn't have much interest in the tournament world at that time, but that was just kind of the, the way in that I, that I found. And so, which worked out good because, you know, most of the tournament coverage is news reporting, which I knew how to do. So, uh, but yeah, so the first tournament, we went up to cover practice at Beta Knock and like, I guess that was 2007 and it was sometime in, in the summer. There's like a raccoon or a squirrel crossed with a dog behind your, your shoulder, by the way. Yeah. He's out there. He's, he's taking, he's also taking a shit. But, yeah, you know, and, I can and, relate. But yeah, but yeah, so we went up there and and, and let me know, let me stop you for one second and give you people a little background on it. So Baden Knock, if you haven't fished there, is a place that you go and you hope to catch five fish a day, and the weather gets so nasty and changes so fast that it's like, oh, let's just throw you out into this. Like it's beautiful it, though. I it, mean, it's beautiful upper beautiful peninsula scenery. Michigan, but everybody runs like forty-five miles to get to you know like Green Bay, like proper you know to catch fish. And, uh, but yeah, so we went up there and, uh, and we flew on some puddle jumper plane out of Milwaukee and, uh, just about missed our flight getting up there and, uh, come in on this like twin prop in this little town. And, and, uh, the very first day it was like this thunderstorm came through and just washed everything out. So we spent the day in the hotel room. And then the second day we were kind of in the residual winds from that storm. And I think it was, is it Troy Morris is his last name? Yep, it was yep. Ranger Rep. Maybe he still is a Ranger Rep. I'm not sure. But he's from the Dakotas, and he had a reputation that I didn't know about of being a little bit of a cowboy, <laughs> and uh, mostly because he, he he was a ranger guy and, and he back knew then, how to run the boat yeah, and back loved then, to push the boat to his limits. Back then, I don't think he was a ranger rep, though, was he? I think he was just a pro staff guy. Probably not then. I think he he became one. He did because I I don't know I don't know his whole story, but but anyway, I didn't know that he had a reputation for kind of taking on ways. <laughs> sort of aggressively <laughs> so anyway that it's was like me and, of you it's me and will brantley and we're sitting in the back on the side compartments in, in a 620 or 600 series ranger which will is a cowboy <laughs> within himself yeah well yeah and then uh troy's buddy you know some co-angler was in the passenger seat and he just looks back and laughs the whole time he's wearing shorts it's like 48 degrees i think and uh he just looks back and laughs it's like you're holding on right and acts like he's riding a bull or something just giving us a bunch of crap but yeah, that was my first experience trolling planer boards in uh, in, in Bay Danak, and we actually caught a few good fish. I think we caught like a twenty-eight or a twenty-nine was like the first fish, and I thought, well, shit, these guys are amazing. Like, just pull up here on the first spot and, and catch a giant, and then uh, then I kind of learned the truth about it. But uh, 
I think I, I trolled the next day with Tommy Scarless, and then I uh, can't remember who it was the next day. So, But I got like a nice kind of overview of the walleye world on that trip. So, yeah, that was cool. Walleye guys are just as equally as, as ecleptic and unique as bass guys. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you have all personalities and all backgrounds. And I think it's different in the walleye world a little bit because when you talk the tournament scene, I mean, from there's what – how many guys are true full-time tournament fishermen now? Half a dozen on the walleye side? I don't even know if it's that, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and even those guys, they're guiding on the on the side or, or maybe full-time, essentially. Um, you, yeah, you, you can't. So, so people at home understand. I mean, Corey Sprangle, uh, for a few years there, now John Hoyer last year pretty much dominated. You still cannot make a living just fishing tournaments. Than walleye no, you just can't. You could at one time maybe, you know, when the PWT was still around and when FLW was paying three hundred grand champions and stuff like that, and there's a lot of money getting pumped into it. But those days seem to be long gone. And even then, kind of what my point I was getting at was most of these guys are successful businessmen, you know, or they're they're full time guys that just fish a few tournaments on the side. But you get a lot of guys that come from with a little bit of money, um, and but they're also like alpha guys, right? You know, they they own a business or they're like an engineer or they you know, manage some company and so like strong personalities and egos at times. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, Hey, you want to come over and have a couple beers tonight? Or, you know, you want to come watch the hockey play? I remember watching hockey playoffs with guys the night before a tournament. And let's just say they had bent their elbows quite a few times. I couldn't imagine how they were going to get out in the morning and compete, but like, you don't see a lot of that in the bass world. It's just, it's a different type of beer. I don't want to say that some of those guys were on vacation or that they were, you know, it was their hobby because they were definitely competitive and serious about it, and there was money on the line. But it kind of felt like it was like towing that line between being a uh, you know fun hobby or being like an so, no, yeah. We had a blast with the walleye guys too. And you never met a group of people who were just like on average more more eager to work media, which makes our job way easy. You know, like if you wanted somebody to take a half hour break in the middle of a practice day to do a photo shoot. By all means, they would do it, and uh, that's not always the case uh, in the bass world. Uh, I can actually a lot recently. I so. can actually remember a good one. I'm gonna throw because I don't care that there was a, a guy whose dad might have a TV show in Florida and say "oh son" a lot, and he he didn't want to do a photo shoot because he was having a bad hair day, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, for a cover of a magazine shoot, and so there's definitely guys that you just go. Wow, I guess you, when you think you're so big or got so big that you know that doesn't matter to you anymore. But walleye guys in general are are happy to have somebody to uh, take their time to give them some press. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about on that story, but uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I do. But I wasn't there, so I don't want to. I don't want to share and mess up the details because I don't think he was. Re- I think he was interested in doing the shoot. I think it was just a matter of fixing a few locks to make it look good. There so. you go. Yeah, yeah. Bad hair day. Bad hair day. But no, it's 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 a lot different on the in the bass world now than it used to be. You know, a lot of our our work was done in practice or in media events or like after weigh-ins and stuff. Um, but in those days, you know, guys still had secrets. I mean, real secrets. And, and a lot of them, we weren't doing live streams from boats. We weren't basically in their face with a camera nonstop. And, uh, and so they, they held back a lot and it was a lot more of your traditional kind of, you know, bass reporting, you know, writing about kind of common topics and stuff. But now, I mean, everything's out there and the guys that are successful are the ones that sort of embrace that and that, you know, we have people that call us wanting to write blogs for us and that want to come and film with us. And I got a guy who lives in California, but he's in the eastern part of the country 
last year, like nine months, maybe almost 10 months. And he basically just crashes at different guys' houses that fish our tournaments and bounces from one to the other. And, uh, you know, that's, I'm not saying that never happened in the past. I'm sure it did, but it's just a lot different now. Guys are way more forthcoming. You know, I would, would hate oh. to characterize them as being difficult to work with now because I don't know. It's just, it's a, if you don't embrace it, then you're not fishing professionally on the bass side now. And, and what, you, what, you, what he's kind of getting at there is basically, tell me if I'm wrong, like back when, let's say, uh, wacky rigging or something became popular, you may have been able to, to roll that into two or three wins or top tens before other guys started yeah. doing it, where now you, you can watch a guy, hey, what's that thing he's hooking in the middle on the front deck? Yep. And so guys at home, let alone other competitors, know that not not I mean immediately they know that before they're even off the water because their girlfriend or buddy has watched the live feed, like you said. So truly, you're you're right. There are no such thing as secrets. We're back when I started fishing walleye tournaments. You know, the, I mean, not that I'm that old, but it's been a long time. You you didn't see the results truly in print until three, four, five, six months later when they came out in right. Walleye Insider magazine. You, you mean, and back then they didn't even have the handouts at the, at the weigh-ins. You just knew who the top ten were because they were getting a check. Right. And so yep. some things have progressed, like everything else, so much and apps and all this stuff. So I I completely agree. But what was the first like bass <coughs> event that you did? Because the walleye stuff I know was, was it was a big deal, but it wasn't anywhere near never was obviously what the FLW bass was. Yeah, it was the 2007 Cup on Lake Washita, which was the year. It was the first year that they paid a million dollars to the winner, and Scott Suggs won that tournament. And that was like, you're talking very tail end of like those glory years of FLW that started in the mid to late 90s and went on into the early 2000s where, you know, you had like the Walmarts and the, of the world, and you had like all the their vendors, you know, the Procter and Gamble brands. You had like, I don't know if National Guard was on yet or was coming, but you had Chevy, BP, I mean, big time sponsors, and it seemed like everybody was flush with money, and they were all investing in, in tournament fishing. And Erwin Jacobs had his foot on the gas and was just making huge moves. And so, you know, they gave away a million bucks to the champion at that tournament. But so I show up, you know, and 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 it's just the, the arena is just totally packed. Literally, people standing around the, like the balcony up in the top that separates the top and bottom deck. Well, how, Scott was, how old were you in two thousand seven? Because you were I don't know, it was twenty three or something like that 22 so, yeah just because you're an ag major doesn't mean you don't know math but i mean yeah that's 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 you're young that's the point yeah 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 and, and i'd never even been to a bass tournament before then so i show up and this arena is just totally packed with people and scott's a local so they're all going nuts and uh i think we had a couple other locals may have been in the hunt and you gotta keep in mind like the last time we'd had a championship there was another local that won it so everybody was like jack because george cochran had won there um He'd won on a different lake, but same arena, same town, you know. And so I think people kind of knew it was going to be this big party. And, uh, you know, there's like this little girl came out and sang the national anthem and people were like crying. It was a, this a huge emotional moment. That's good and the old place folks. goes nuts. What's that? That's good old folks down there. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, he comes out and he does that woo pig suey thing that they do in Arkansas, whatever the hell that means. And um, people are like losing their mind and he pulls that fish out and, you know, it place erupts. But, I left there thinking, like, holy shit, I had no idea the extent of what this was. Like, I knew some tournament anglers. I'd read about them in, in, in fishing magazines, and I kind of understood what tournaments were. But I had no idea, like, how big it had gotten. And uh, and that was nuts, man. And it was like, 
my first time in like deep in the South, it was like 102 degrees. The one day I went out and practiced with David Dudley, I was like, oh my God, I, like, I come from Northern Ohio, you know, by Lake Erie and I'm dealing with this in the summertime. I wasn't prepared for that, but it was like a huge eye opener for me. Just like all these, the way this whole thing worked. And uh, now it's like old hat. I just been in so many tournaments. I get, I, like, I get how things are, but back then I was pretty well shocked by it. Well, I mean, the side fact that you were a young guy, I mean, doing these traveling with tournaments and stuff and uh, it's a, people just don't realize what's going on. That's a that's a dark to dark and then some deal. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, tournament fishermen put in a lot of hours uh, during tournaments, but media we're puts working, in more. We're working before they get there. We're working while they're fishing. We're working in the evenings to get ready to go. I mean, I've written uh, hundreds of articles from the cab of my pickup truck, trying to get things done, like on the way to and from the hotel or to and from the lake. Oh, downloading you know? footage before dinner. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. And even now, like I work a lot of the tournaments remote now and, and kind of manage the the crew that's on the water and manage like this, anything that gets onto the site. And even then, you know, I'm, I'm at my computer, you know, 530 in the morning and basically working until my guys go to bed, just making sure I can support them with whatever they, they need done. But yeah, and it's easier now because we can, we can transmit stuff so much faster. You know, we, we're all connected. We can stream photos around a lot, e- a lot easier. We used to have to like send people out in a boat to go retrieve cards. And, you know, it was just like, it was, it was a pretty crude affair. Um, we're a lot more efficient than that now, but you know, it's, uh, I've, I've had a couple of guys come work just like one tournament, mostly because they were, did a little riding or something and we're FLW fans. And then afterward they're like, dude, I don't know that I didn't imagine that it could be that much work. You know, it's a lot of sleep. It's a lot of like, eating out in garbage restaurants, a lot of miles on the road, but uh, it's also a lot of fun too. So you know, I, I don't know, it's it all, all a grind. That's the thing about fishing that people don't get. You know, the guy that's working a nine to five in a cubicle or at an auto factory or whatever, he wants to fish for a living or a guy that's in some type of media, maybe he's a videography or something, but he really likes to fish. They don't realize that when you get into it, you don't get to do it and no, you're watching no. other people do it and it's not glamorous and it's not you know it's it's not a yeah. you've got to if you I tell people all the time if you like it don't get anywhere near it if you love it maybe if you're infatuated with it you probably can make it yeah and that's yeah. that's true I, of either side of we're on I just love to write and I love to I really love to take on the water photos that's a, I have a lot of fun doing that I'm not a great studio photographer but I don't know Sports photography is a lot different to me and it's a lot more fun. And, uh, and there's a strategy to it, almost like fishing sometimes. So I like that part of it. Um, I always like to be able to travel and see the country. It's a little harder now with kids than it used to be. You know, it hurts a little more to leave. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've towed bass boats to every, every one of the best bass fisheries in the southeastern United States and, and a number of them in the, in the northern states without ever making a cast in most of them. So... You know, it's. Uh, that would be funny if you were following the leaders and you just whipped out a rod out of the rod locker. And you just started ripping, ripping through there. Yeah, it's funny because my like we get we hire local boat drivers for some events, and uh, guys that theoretically know the lake and at least have a boat that runs. And uh, but they show up and they take our, our photographers out, and it's I don't know. It's like all of them realize the temptation will be so strong to cast that they have to take the rods out of the boat just to avoid ever wanting to to do it. Which it's like almost every single time. So, any rate, so let's get back. To the, I mean, the things that I I like. I mean, I'm I'm in this. I'm knee deep in it. I know a lot of these players, and the thing that's still just funny to me is these stories. I mean, like, like I can remember you telling me about a David Dudley thing. I I just think of that because I just recently worked a sports show with him, and he's a unique character. Um, yeah. 
And I remember you had the, I won't, I won't steal your thunder, but you had a pretty interesting experience with him. On yeah, Dudley's a one of a kind, man. I don't know. He's a hard person to describe. And uh, he had a, a DD-22 that he won, I think he said like 300 grand on or 100 grand. I don't know. A, a lot of money. It was like a special bait. And uh, and he told me, he's like, man, if I win this tournament on this bait, I'm going to retire it. But he's like, I got to throw it because it's like it's the bait, you know. And uh, so he went over to this one spot, I remember, and he threw that thing in there. And he had the hooks bent over, and you could watch his rod tip, and it would just be like, you could see a fish grab hold of it. And they hit it like twice in one cast, and he's like, gets it out of there really fast. So then we go over to another spot, and he throws it out, and and he gets it hung up. And I was like, how in the world? Like, what do you get it hung up on when you got the hooks bent over, right? So apparently, he had got it hung up a couple other times during the week and had gone and swimming for it. And I didn't know that that had happened. But... Uh, he gets it hung up, and so he's like, all right, man, I got to go down and get it. And I was like, what do you mean you got to go down and get it? He's like, no, I'm going swimming for it. <laughs> so he goes in. It's like 16 feet deep. And he, he like, takes his shirt off, and he goes in, and he just follows I mean, the line are we down, down to the bottom. Mental picture. Are we down to the tidy whiteys? No, no, no. He was wearing, like, swim trunks or whatever. Okay. I think he, he practiced in swim trunks. Dude, it was 100 degrees. If you didn't go swimming at some point, you were going to roast. But, Something from but anyway, so he swims there. down. I got you. Yeah, yeah, he swims down, and, and I'm like, man, this dude can hold his breath a long time because he didn't come back up right away. And pretty soon here he comes up, and he's got a bag, like a burlap sack full of rocks that somebody had used to sink some brush or something, and the bait was, like, wrapped on it. And so he gets up to the surface, and he's, like, trying not to drown with this giant sack of rocks, and Philip, his nephew, reaches down, like, grabs hold of – I don't even think Philip grabbed David. I think he grabbed the bag of rocks, And uh, but I got a photo of it. I got a photo of it. Dude, and it dude ran can you send that to me? Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. It was the first published photo I'd ever taken that made it into a magazine. And, uh, <laughs> but it was nuts. And then Philip's like, oh, yeah, dude, he's done that like twice already this week. It's like, what a, what a deal. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, first of all, I couldn't believe he was throwing that bait in practice if it was such a special deal that he wasn't willing to lose it. But, but yeah, that was cool. That was, uh, that was my first other experience. And I'll, I don't know, that's when I'll remember forever. It was like breaking me in into the bass fishing world, you know, to go out with him and see how he operates. But, he really was dialed. He finished like third or fourth in that tournament and had a chance to win it, I think. But Scott Suggs was on such a good deal. I don't know if anybody ever would have caught him. So, yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely some personalities. I mean, even from like the media standpoint, I can remember, unfortunately, the late Dave James, who I was good buddies with. And I think everybody would say they were good buddies with Dave James because he was just that kind of infectious personality. I mean, a bunch of people that we know, and I know you've got uh, you've had some interesting situations with Daver. Yeah, yeah. My dog came to join the party here. But, uh, yeah, I, I I remember some good David James stories. You know, he, David never missed a chance to go out and, and, let's just say, hang out with some guys at a restaurant or bar when he was out working tournaments. But I really think that was his job, you know. I, I remember him buying, like – He was a professional snoozer. Yeah, he, he bought, like, three rounds of pizzas one night at, at the table and just kept them coming. That was at Leech Lake, I think. And uh, But we were at the, one of the cups in Hot Springs – like 2011, I want to say, and, and uh, I, it was like the tournament was over, and I went down to the lobby, and they had a little bar in there, and I think I was just hanging out waiting for people to go to dinner, and Dave was at the bar, and he's like, hey, man, come have come have a beer with me, so I went and had a beer, we were just talking about, you know, whatever, Rappala business and um, FLW and stuff, and yeah, he's like, I hey. guess we should stop, because everybody at home probably doesn't know the Daver, as we call him, he was a fields promotion um, director, I guess, at Rappala. Yeah, he was a pro staff guy and their media guy. Like, if you needed something in the media, that's who you went to. But I thought we, I thought you'd said that. But yeah, so he was down there, and uh, 
He's like, well, hey, I'm going to take a potential pro staffer to, to dinner tonight with his family. Do you want to come along? And I was like, well, sh- I mean, I've never, never seen how that works. Sure, I'll come along. And so, <laughs> and I was like, well, who, who is it? And he's like, oh, it's Jacob Wheeler. And so, <clears throat> the flashback: Wheeler had won the All American the year before, as or, like uh, high school or something, right? Or he had won it that summer. I mean, and that's how he qualified for that cup. And uh, we had put him on the magazine cover. And it was like uh, the next superstar or something because everybody was raving about this kid. And, you know, he'd won some youth title and he'd won the All-American. But, you know, still nobody – people didn't really know who he was or how much potential he had. So, anyway, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I know I know Jacob a little bit. I'll go and hang out. But we show up there to the restaurant and it's like Jacob's whole family's there. His grandparents are there, his parents, his sister, I don't know, maybe a couple friends or whatever. And then me and David James are there, you know. And uh, But it was cool. You know, I got to see – kind of it wasn't like a job interview like any other person would go on you know it was like they were just getting a feel for who he was and, and kind of what his, his personality was and obviously you know they they signed him like shortly after that now he's one of Rappel's biggest guys so and one of the biggest names in bass fishing but you know at that point he was just like 19 or 20 years old or 21 whatever it was and just getting started so I doubt Jacob remembers it, but I remember it, and I thought that was pretty cool. Well, it's it's funny that your choice of words there, you know, about just an interesting job application or or whatever you want to call it. That is a unique thing. This is not like applying to be an accountant. Um, You know, several of the guys we've talked with in the past and guys that you know for sure that, you know, say that it's that feeling out process because it's so relationship-based. Yeah, because. Yeah, there's the fishing end of it, but the, the real end of it is kind of that personality thing. And, and you're working pretty close with guys. I mean, you're just, I mean, it's, you're texting guys. I don't think people understand sometimes. Nine, 10 o'clock at night on Sundays, you're talking to these guys. You probably know their wives. I mean, a lot of the bass guys, you know their wives. You probably, in certain cases, deal with them more than you do the actual angler themselves. Once in a while, yeah. Yeah, I know it's, um, it's a weird thing, too, in my line of work. It used to be we weren't. We were friendly with pros, but I wouldn't say we were necessarily friends with pros. And and part of that was because you were the guy who's going to have to write about him and, and try to be objective and stuff. At least that's the way I approached it. And maybe that's different than other people. But since then, I, I really think there's a lot of anglers that I would definitely say are friends. That if I, you know, quit my job tomorrow and went and became an insurance salesman, I'd still t- check in with once in a while. And uh, you know, guys that I fished with, guys that have like standing offers, man. Anytime you're in town, you know, let's go fishing. And they don't expect you to get out of camera and, and you know make an article out of it or anything. And that's definitely changed a lot. But yeah, I mean, I've got guys that it's a lot more open lines of communication than it used to be. If you screw up, they'll text you and let you know about it. And, you know, if I need something from them, I'll text them and let them know. And they do the same for me. And so, um, there's definitely, it's a, it's very collaborative. You know, you have to work as a, as a team with some of these anglers. Whereas I think in other, in other sports, it's probably a lot different. You know, they're, Guys have their guard up a lot more. Like if you're a professional basketball player or whatever, you, you're probably just waiting for a, a dumb question from a reporter or, you know, trying to protect your image or whatever. And I think it's just a lot different in the bass fishing world. It's it's a lot more – well, like you said, it's a small group. It's a not a family necessarily, but just a real small network that you work within. It's uh, So it's just a different a different deal. My dog is walking laps around me here. So. Well, at least we can't hear it. You know, yeah. We had birds singing for a little while here too. It's technology. Yeah, it's 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 a good thing, bad thing. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. I can remember uh, a, a story too with with Michael Bennett that was kind of I don't know some of these things. I mean, you could go through a million of them. Half of them we couldn't put on. I mean, let's just be real. But like with him, he he that dude kind of went crazy or something. I don't know what his deal is, but he he's not involved with fishing. I don't think at all anymore, is he? 
Yeah, I don't really know. He was, uh, and he won the cup. It, he was the at the time the youngest. I think Wheeler was younger when he won it afterward. But Jacob was like a, a prodigy, man. I'm, I'm not not Jacob, but Michael was a prodigy. He he'd won like two tournaments that year, and you know his brother was a great fisherman. Whatever I thought they were both going to make it, and and for all intents and purposes, Michael had made it at that point. And then I don't even know what happened, but he he fished like another year or two, and then kind of vanished. And somebody told me he was owned like a gelato shop in Florida. I, I don't know if that was ever true, <laughs> but I follow him on Facebook, and once in a while he'll make a post. He's I think he's married now and is works in the medical industry. I don't I don't know anything else beyond that, but I fished with him in uh, I think it was Lake Amistad back when we used to have the the FLW series East West Fish Off, which was we had an Eastern and a Western series that were like tour level they weren't like our current series which is like a triple a level but it was like one hundred and twenty five thousand dollar payouts or something like that and at the end of the year the best anglers from both came together and had like a bracket style fish off and so i went and practiced with him for that and his girlfriend at the time was along i just remember she was like i don't know i couldn't imagine, couldn't believe how he was able to focus so well because the dude was like like laser focus. But don't he, don't he you think that's what makes world. makes those guys? I mean, I can remember. Oh, I can remember listening to a thing with KBD, 100%. and they were taught he lost like three giants in the classic, and he never even like acknowledged it. I think it was Swindle. Talking. But it's it's a different deal when there's a person in the back of the boat asking you to tie on, you know, Carolina rig beef jerky to drag behind the boat. Wait a minute. Wait. Actually, been the case. Wait. Wait a minute. Carolina rigging. Beef jerky. Yeah. When you say yeah, that, you mean like, you mean literally a piece of. Oh beef yeah, 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 yeah. She was like, I like to throw all kinds of weird stuff. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm just along for the ride. But then she caught a fish that we used for a photo. So on beef jerky. Was, no, I don't know. So he's like <laughs> a twinkie. So, but she yeah. must have been smoking hot. Because I mean, to put up with that, that I mean, she must. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I feel like you're digging for dirt, and I'm going to get in trouble one of these times. Here, oh, so. you know, this is all. He's not around anyhow, but <laughs> that's just hilarious. Beef jerky. I I, I do remember yeah. that, actually. Dude, he was such a hammer, though. I mean, that, that guy could fish. and But it was cool because he was throwing stuff I never got to see, like big swim baits and stuff were just kind of coming out. He was already way into that, coming from California. Uh, he called a smallmouth on Amistad, which now I know they got tons of smallmouths, but at the time I had no idea. And uh, just kind of his style of fishing and uh, – I don't know. I mean, he was, he had the potential because he came up kind of around that, like Brent Ayler when he came up and they're both West coast guys and real similar style of fishermen. And, uh, but yeah, not doing it anymore. So, so what's probably one more real memorable thing that, I mean, of the time you spent with people in boats that just kind of make you go, wow, or something that was super funny, because again, people don't realize like the time you've gotten to spend with these guys an intimate time. I mean, we're talking five, yeah. 10 feet away from the, the legends of the sport. I mean, you see stuff that rather they say it or not, you know, that you just pick up on some cool stuff or maybe some funny shit or. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it, people always ask, you know, if there's stories like that to stand down, I, I only got like five stories and I think we've already said them all because I'm really not that interesting, but, uh, I don't know, man. I've seen, I've been in the boat with Jason Lambert in practice and just watched him literally like kick back like he's in a recliner, idling ledges and pointing out carp versus bass versus this and that. And then, you know, a few days later, he catches 100 pounds and wins by like whatever he won by 40 pounds or something stupid like that. And you get to see uh, a master at work and make it look easy, you know, things like that that have been cool. But I've also seen just other wild stuff like, you know, bass in Texas that were floating on the surface with a tilapia stuck in their mouth. They tried to eat, you know, tilapia is like nine or 10 inches long. 
Hey, you, you might you might want to give uh, Rufus there a treat. <laughs> he wants to go out. So, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of little stuff like that when you get to see guys that are the best in the world at it. I mean, like the Dudley thing is the perfect example. You know, he was just 100% dialed in that tournament. You know, he could pull up on a spot and make it one cast and hit the spot every time. And th- this is before spot lock. This is before modern GPS. You know, he was probably triangulating off land. I just didn't know it at the time. Um, he could hit a brush pile with a deep diving crankbait, which, I mean, isn't even easy with those tools now. Um you hit you hit the nail on the head. A simple simple words to say, but difficult to understand until you live it and witness it. Yeah, is yeah. that they make it look easy. I mean, I get guys like when I'm guiding, I, I take things for granted with what I do because I do it every day. And you'll get some other guy that's successful, and he'll be like, "Hey, let me help you with this." And like when I'm setting lines, I'll have six out, and he's trying to put one because it's it's what it's what we do. And yeah. a guy like him, it's- you just you don't think it's as difficult until you attempt to even try it, and then you're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, it's no different than if you were a welder and I came and tried to weld. Absolutely. And, and you saw how I did it, you know, and it's no different. Like I, I worked construction in the summers when I got out of high school and through most of college. And I remember like watching guys walk up Bruce, stepping from purling to purling, you know, and, and like carrying lumber over their shoulder. And I was like terrified, like walking to like a ladder. I remember just ridiculous skill that they had with power tools, stuff that, you know, you don't even look safe, but they'd use a circular saw and carve something out. You're like, how in the world did you do that? But then you realize they've done it for 35 years. You know, they've hit a million nails on the head perfectly for 30 years or whatever it is. It's the exact same thing. Same thing in fishing. These guys have made a million casts over the course of their career under a dock. And so when you see Andy Morgan skip a jig, you know, 25 feet back up under a float through a hole the size of a dinner plate, if you can, if you you know, if you work some other trade or have some other skill, you can, maybe you can relate that a little bit and understand how they got that way. Well, it's not so. like they're born. It's not like they were born that way. They just did it a ton of times and they mastered that skill. So. I think you know we we've been kind of just unintentionally totally finishing these up with some stories from from different people, and they all seem to be, or a bunch of them have been in, in relation to Forest Wood because, again, he we. Forcewood passed away this year, and it's it's just amazing. It, I don't think anybody has a bad thing to say about that guy. You know what I mean? Everybody yeah. has a forest story. He touched so many people, um, no matter if you were a top-name fisherman or you know just some guy that worked in whatever around. Uh, I mean, guys, I can remember him just even back in the day doing plant tours. I mean, the guy that's putting carpet in the boats, you know what I mean? And, and just he, Forrest knew everything about every one of those guys, and you didn't have to be some big-name fishing guy. Um, and just all of the things that, that that he was involved with, and I, kind of a funny story talking about you know thinking they're important. Our buddy Kyle, with the keychains, that that's a good one to close on since it's, it was a little tribute to our buddy yeah. Forrest. Yeah, we were at Okeechobee one year, and uh, you know they have a resort there, Roland and Marion Martin's Marina, and if you come in after hours, they just leave the keys in a box and have your name on an envelope. And so he rolled in with some of the people from the the Minnesota crew, and. Uh, you know, somebody just went up and grabbed the, the envelope that said Wood, and Kyle's last name is Wood, Kyle Wood. He's our senior editor, and uh, he's like, oh, cool, this is, all right, go up to my room. So anyway, the next morning, he comes out, and he's like, dude, you guys wouldn't believe how, how awesome my room is. I got, like, two bedrooms and a living room. It's like a damn suite. I'm like, no kidding. So we went over there, and I was like, I was making plans to move in. It was, like, Super Bowl weekend. I was going to move in with him. And we were, Listen, like, dude, you're like a crazy and, girlfriend now. I'm, you're yeah, moving we're, right in. we were going to have a party. It was like, damn, this is great. I didn't like. They must have been out of rooms, and this is all they had left. And then, like, lunchtime that day, our operations manager or whatever calls, and she's like, hey, um, 
does somebody have the keys to the suite room number whatever? And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe Kyle does. And she's like, yeah, that's Forrest Wood's room. And I'm like, oh, not Kyle Wood, Forrest Wood. They should really write first names on those those envelopes. But that was funny. Oh, so. that's the funny one. Well, that- hey, I got another Forrest Wood story that if you got a minute, I'll, I'll share. I do. Because I've read about this a couple times. And, uh, you know, I didn't know Forrest all that well. I'd met him a number of times. Like anybody, he talked to me like we'd been old friends for years. That's just how he was. And in the course of, uh, you know, writing about Forrest and, and paying tribute to him in the last few weeks, I really learned a lot about him and, and how big a deal he really was, you know. Um, and uh, from a lot of people in the industry that are superstars that talk about Forrest Wood, like he's like another level of superstar, which was really interesting to me just to see people pay tribute to him. But I shared his story because when Ranger was celebrating its, its 40th or 45th anniversary, I can't remember, they invited a bunch of riders to flip in to come out. And the plan was to float the White River in the little like river boats that they used to use back in the day when, when Forrest was a guide years ago. And then, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff, plant tour and all that stuff. But we floated the river and then we ended at Forrest Cabin, which was on the riverfront on the White River. And of course, it's a, it's a nice cabin, you know, it's just a pretty place up on the hill. And Forrest and his grandson, they like did everybody a, a shore lunch and fried uh, trout right there, just like they would have done back when Forrest was guiding. But it, this big storm came up, and we were all standing outside, just thinking we'd hang out out there and eat and talk and stuff. And it started pouring down rain, and so everybody went running into the cabin. And long story short, before the night was over, it was like three or four of us riders sitting around with Forrest Wood, and he was just talking hunting and fishing stories, but he took his hat off sat it down on the table and propped his boots up on a, on a footrest. And I thought, holy shit, like you've really made it in life when Forrestwood takes his hat off, props his boots up and, and wants to talk fishing with you. And uh, that's the only time I've ever seen him not wearing a hat. So that was pretty cool. You know, it's funny you should say that because I've never seen him in a ball cap. I don't know if he ever wore one, but he had that Probably. hat on. It didn't matter if we were going through a plant tour or we were yep. at an open house in the middle of winter. Uh, like I've been boat shows with him and it's funny you should say that. Yeah, that's... Probably nine, well, nine is about the only one. Dave Santa claims he, he saw Forrest taking a surfing lesson in Hawaii back in the old Redman tournament days, and he was wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat on his surfboard. But I'll <laughs> let Dave tell that story when you have him on. You know, that that is a very good thing. I think that's an opener with Dave. Uh, th- yeah, there's – hmm. Well, at any rate, I'm sure we could do this uh, all day, and I I definitely would like to do it again because I know we're going to pull some more stories out of it because for a relatively young guy and as the editor-in-chief of FLW, you've been there (laughs) and and seen a lot of stuff and been around a lot of the key players in the business for the last decade plus. So thank you for giving us the time, and we hope to do it again. Yeah, man, I'm not doing it again because I'm going to say something stupid and get in trouble. So That's my job. I, I do that all the time. It's, it's fine. It all works itself out. <laughs> well, right, right thanks for joining us on the Big Water Podcast. Kurt Niedemeyer, who will be a one-time guest apparently, uh, self-proclaimed <laughs> quit. Join us on everything Big Water Fishing, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever. Hit that like button or subscribe and follow us so you can hear these podcasts and all the other social media stuff that we do. Fishing related, that's what we are. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, man.